Father in heaven, we give you thanks for all that you have done in this past week. Father, the testimonies that we've heard have been incredibly encouraging. The stories of lives being touched and transformed by your grace. Oh, Father, we know we should never have left, but we're so grateful that you never stopped chasing us. Father, there's messages recorded in your word that seek to serve an example of how we should live our life. And there are others that show us perhaps what not to do. Father, we pray that your spirit would be present in this room, that, Father, your words would be spoken, that our hearts would be touched, and that our lives would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered why Samson was Samson? Like, did there just have to be a young man with incredible strength that struggled with lust? Did there just have to be one? And so he was just chosen to be that guy. Have you ever wondered why Samson was Samson? I have. And so, in the book of Judges, I believe that there are some pretty solid answers. Why did Samson's life start the way it started? And for many of us, perhaps more importantly, why did his life end the way it ended? I invite you to turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I'm not going to count from 1 to 13, uh, but the chapters are in numerical order. Judges, chapter 13, when you're there, just say amen. amen. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. This afternoon I gave a presentation on on how to know God's will for your life, and I challenged those that were present to start reading the Bible today, to start with two chapters this evening and to continue that each morning and evening. Some have asked me where to start. I gave two answers, Genesis or Matthew. Judges is the last place. <clears throat> Judges is the last place that you want to start. I'll just give you the warning up front. Don't start reading the Bible in the book of Judges. Um, it's, it's a little out there. It's as inspired as anywhere else in the Bible, um, but it might just beat you up a little bit before it lets you breathe. Um, so start with some context, and, and when you get there, uh, hopefully some of it will start to make sense. But what we do have in the book of Judges is this picture of God's people on somewhat of a roller coaster ride of faith, where they believe and they receive deliverance through the various judges um, for a certain amount of time, and then they fall back into apostasy. Verse 2, And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was what? Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. This is a very specific prophecy about the will of Samson. The Bible says, listen now, the Bible says that Samson will not deliver his people from the Philistines. The Bible says that he will begin. He will at least get the process started. He will get the ball moving. I wonder why. Then the woman came and told her husband and said, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible, but I asked him not where he came from. 
neither did he tell me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now no drink, nor wine, nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. You see, what happens is we read through these stories and we don't actually think of this as a real life scenario. But I promise you, it was one of those. Now think of it, think of it as it has been told to us. Manoah's wife, we don't know her name and there might be good reason for that, she cannot have children. She cannot have children. There was another biblical character before, before Manoah and his wife, a family that could not conceive. Anyone know their name? Sarah and Abraham. Do you know who God spoke to to tell them that they would have a child? He spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham before he spoke to Sarah and told him that his seed will be as the stars of the sky. God approached the head of the home. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto who? The woman. Why? Now you may think, hey, it's just because, you know, maybe, maybe geographically the woman was just closer to where the angel of the Lord was passing through and so he just stopped there first. But have, ever, have you ever asked yourself why? Why did the angel of the Lord come to Manoah's wife? I think it's worth questioning. And here's why. Here's why. Because, because the angel comes to the woman and says, Listen, woman, I know you're barren. I know you cannot have a child. But I want to let you know that you will conceive, that you will have a, have a son. And what we find from verse 4 and verse 5 is instruction that has been taught them so that they shall know what to do with the child and how he shall be born. Are you with me? The woman hears this, Manoah's wife hears this, she, she it seems believes the word of the Lord and she runs back to her husband and she says, listen, an angel is, uh, appeared to me, this person who had almost the, the terrible countenance of an angel of God and told me that I was going to have a child. Manoah's response is to speak to God and say, God, I would love for you to send an angel our way so that we will know what to do when the child is born. But... But that just happened, though. An angel did show up. And an angel did give specific instruction as to how the child was to be raised. The story gets worse or better, considering your perspective. Verse 9. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. God heard his prayer. And the angel of the Lord came again unto the woman. The angel of the Lord again came unto the woman, it says, as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. The Spirit of God goes out of his way to use the author to say, when the angel of the Lord came back, he came back when Manoah still wasn't there. Now, I'm not here to preach about International Women's Day, but I am here to tell you that there's a reason, it seems, as to why the Holy Spirit is sending angels to speak to Manoah's wife, but not to Manoah. The angel shows up, hey, Manoah's wife, uh, you're going to have a child and this is how you're going to raise him. She goes back to Manoah and said, the angel just came to me and told me that I'm going to have a child and this is how we should raise him. And Manoah says, God, we really need some advice if we're going to have this child as to how we should raise him. Please, can you give, him, give us instruction? And God says, okay, I'll get right on that. Sends probably the same angel back to the same woman to say that you're going to have a child and this is how you're going to raise him. Verse 10, and the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the, ma the, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. The same guy came back. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said, Are you the one that spoke to the woman? It's as if the guy has serious mental problems. It's, it's not good just hearing it. He's like, are you the one? And the angel's just like, yes, I am. He said, I am. And Manoah said, now let the words come to pass. How shall we order the child? What shall we do to him? And the angel of the Lord says to Manoah, everything that I just told the woman. What's wrong with you, brother? 
I've come, I've given the instruction, you didn't listen, I came back and I gave it again and you still didn't want to listen and now you want to ask me to my face, speak to your wife. I told her what the deal was. Now make haste and obey. Why is it that the angel refuses to enter into this dialogue with Manoah? Why? I believe it's purposeful. I believe that the angel of the Lord is willingly and purposefully seeking out Manoah's wife to speak to her. And when you continue to read through the story, you see in verse, in verse 15, Manoah says to the angel, I pray, let us hold on to you until we've made ready a kid for you. And the angel of the Lord says to Manoah, though you hold on to me, I'm not going to eat your food. And if you would offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. He still had no idea who he was. Verse 17, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that if this thing actually happens, we know who we can honor. And the angel of the Lord says, why do you ask my name? It's a secret. I haven't come to tell you about me. In fact, I didn't even come to speak to you in the first place. <laughs> and Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass when the flame went up towards the heaven from afar that the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame on the altar and Manoah and his wife looked in it, fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that it was an angel of the Lord. Ba-ding! And Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said if God wanted to kill us, he would have. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. The way it's put together is just, anyone from a divided home? No, for real. Anyone for a divided home where, where maybe mom was just a little bit more on it than dad was? Or maybe dad was the real spiritual leader, but mom was just like, hey, you know, we can do this, we can go here. Samson, listen to me, Samson comes from, from a home, it appears at least. Samson comes from a home where the spiritual leader in the house is mom. Where when God communes with the family, he's choosing to commune with mom. Because he's trying with dad, but dad just don't get it. Listen to me. Have you ever asked yourself, why Samson is Samson? Because here's the thing, if there's one thing that we know about this, about Manoah in this short story, is that he couldn't just take their word for it. He needed to experience it. He needed to experience it himself. If he could experience it himself, if he could prove it himself, then he would trust that it was so. And so the Bible tells us in verse 24, and the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtar. Were you reading along with me? Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Spirit of God began to move him at times. The Spirit of God began to move Samson at times. And if the Spirit of God is moving Samson at times, then we can deduce from this that there are also times when the Spirit of God is not. You ever wondered why Samson is Samson? Our introduction to him in chapter 14, verse 1 says, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines and he came up and told his father and his mother who are still together I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines now therefore get her for me to wife then his father and his mother said unto him is there never a woman among the daughter of thy brethren or among all of thy people that thou can take a wife that you have to go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines and Samson said to his father get her for me for she pleaseth me well you see, you see, Samson is about to make a decision and his parents are like, actually, Samson, that's not what the will of God is in your life. And Samson says, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it pleaseth me. My personal experience with this woman is that it, it's good. It works. I like it. It feels nice. And they're like, no, Samson. 
And listen to their language. Is there never a woman of thy brethren that thou can take? It sounds like this isn't his first interaction or altercation with women from down south, if you will. This is not his first rodeo. And his parents, his parents are kind of confused. Samson, why don't you just, why don't you just listen? Why do you always have to go down there? Samson, why is it? Why is it that it seems like you always have to experience things for yourself? You ever wondered why Samson is Samson? This story is one of, if not the most tragic of stories recorded in the Bible. The Bible says that the Spirit of God moved Samson at times. At times. Many people would say that Samson has a lust issue. That's what we think about when we think of Samson. That he has great strength, but his weakness is his lust. Now I think there may be an element of truth in that, but I don't think that's Samson's number one problem. I think he's just selfish. I think he's just selfish. I think that there's just things that this guy wants and he's just not going to stop until he gets them. He has, he has the determination that would have been required to actually set his people free from the Philistines, but his focus, catch me, his focus is elsewhere. Would he like if his people were free? Yeah, man, sure, okay, but that's, that's not really what Samson is about. Look at, how he's, look at how he's used by the Spirit of God. Verse 5, Then Samson went down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. Verse 6 is key. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent as he would have rent a kid, as, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. He is, he is essentially on his way down, to the place where his future wife lives, he's met by a lion, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes mightily upon him, and he almost grabs the lion by the mouth and just rips him open. Rips him open. It looks like, it looks like very little effort was extended here. The Spirit of the Lord comes, now there's, now there's two halves of the lion. And Samson simply goes about his business. The Bible wants to make sure, look at verse 7. He went down, talked with the woman, she pleased Samson well, and after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. He took the honey in his hands, went on eating, and came to his father and his mother, gave them, and they did eat, but he told them not that he had taken honey out of the carcass of the lion. They had no idea that the lion was ripped in two. Now here's the thing, I understand, I understand. Pride is not for the people of God. But I'll just be very real with you. If on the way to restoration, I was met by a lion, and I grabbed that lion by the mouth and tore him open, that's my first sermon. In fact, that might be the whole series. And I'll just let you know on the last Sabbath that it was me and not Samson. It will be a whole great big boast. Samson is going out of his way to make sure that no one knows. Why? Why? The Spirit of God has just come mightily upon you. Why, why not tell people about this? Now I get the Nazarite vow. Shouldn't have ripped people open or things. I get it. He was never meant to touch something dead. And maybe there's a part of that. I could argue this, but maybe there's a part of that that's keeping him from, from telling them. But he doesn't really seem too concerned about the Nazarite vow because he goes and touches the dead thing, takes the honey out, and then goes and gives it to his parents. Yes. Incredibly strange. I'll stick to, to Walmart. Thank you, Samson. Look at, look at how... Let me ask you a question. Do you think Samson will be in heaven? I'm so happy you said that. Do you think Samson will be in heaven? Hebrews 11, right? 
Go to Hebrews 11. I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report that through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things that which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel, verse 5, by faith Enoch, 6, without faith it's impossible to please God, 7, by faith Noah, 8, by faith Abraham, keep going down, we'll get there eventually, 17, by faith Abraham again, 20, by faith Isaac, 21, by faith Jacob, 22, by faith Joseph, 23, by faith Moses, 31, by faith the harlot Rahab. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail to, for me to tell of, what's his name? Gideon. Hmm. And of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David, and of Samuel, and of the prophets. Think Samson's going to be in heaven? Hmm? Why? Because in Hebrews 11, this is the hall of faith. It's not heaven itself. Do you think Samson's going to be in heaven? I want you to think about it. I'm not saying he's not going to be. Samson is listed in this, this hall of faith, which means, essentially, that Samson showed great faith. Amen? Samson showed great faith. When did Samson show great faith? There's only one account of Samson showing great faith. It's right at the end of his life. So is that all that matters then? Is it just about the final act? Gideon is mentioned in the same verse. Have you read the story of Gideon? We little guy. Spends time with the Lord. Grows in the spirit of the Lord until he leads a mighty army of 300 men against an innumerable foe, defeats them, and then right before he dies, he commits apostasy. His final act that we have recorded in Scripture is apostasy. He sets up idols and the people worship them. Gideon's mentioned in this chapter. So is it just about the final act? For the record, I think Samson will be in heaven. But I don't think Samson's going to be in heaven just because he's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Because here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I know about me. God, and specifically the Spirit of God, has come down upon me in mighty ways in the past. That's no indication that I'm staying with Him for the rest of my life. Just because... I knew God doesn't mean I know God. Just because I once made the decision to accept Him doesn't mean that I'm presently with Him. I think sometimes, especially within the realm of Christianity, and especially within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we're very comfortable just relying on our past experiences with God. Well, I remember when God done that great thing through me, so therefore that means He must still be with me. Absolutely not! The only way that God is with you today is if you've asked Him to be. God's not with you today because He done something through you yesterday. The Spirit of God isn't present in your life just because there was a time when you got baptized. Samson has the most topsy-turvy, inconsistent relationship with the Spirit of God that you'll ever see recorded in the Scriptures. Let's look at it. Look at what it says in Judges chapter 14. In Judges chapter 14, we read verse 6, where he's heading down to marry a Philistine. He's heading down to marry a Philistine. He's attacked by a lion, but the Spirit of God comes, and the Spirit of God saves him. Look now at verse 19. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, we're in Judges 14, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of their garments unto them, which expounded the riddle, and his anger was kindled, we're coming back to the riddle, and he went up to his father's house, but Samson's wife was given to his companion, who he had used as his friend. It's, it's murky, and it's messy, and too many lines crisscross, but this is essentially Samson's story. Samson's story is, God is desperately trying to use this man and is so taking every single opportunity that he's afforded to because his people are so far gone and they're in such a mess that the best that God has is a mess. God takes a mess and tries to do something with it, even if it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. He's desperate to save his people and so he'll use anyone and that's where I relate to Samson. Because I've seen in my life that God is desperate to wrap up this work, that he's desperate for Jesus to come home, that he's desperate to take his people, and that's why he uses me. He uses an absolute mess to reach an absolute mess. Because we can relate, no? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. Let's go to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15, look at what it says in the sixth verse. Then the Philistine said, Who hath done this? You know what Samson did? Look at verse 4. Samson caught 300 foxes, took torches of fire, tied the tails together and put the fire in the middle, and then sent them into the corn. This annoyed them. As you can imagine. And the Philistines are like, who done this? And they say, Samson. Samson's response has always confused me. I think that Samson knew who he was meant to be. I think that perhaps somewhere along the line, his parents would have said to him, hey, just FYI, the reason why you're able to lift up the house when you're a little bit upset is because God has given you supernatural strength to defeat our enemies. I, can just, I imagine that that conversation came up at some point in the relationship. I imagine. But I don't think that, I don't think that Samson wants to do that. I don't think that Samson wants to do that. Look at verse 14. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arm became as flax that were burnt with fire, and his bands were loose from off his hands. He put forth a new jawbone of an ass, and he put forth his hand, he took it, he slew a thousand men, and then Samson goes and sings a song. Every single time that we see the Spirit of God show up, it seems like he's just trying to save the dude. Oh, there's a lion, quickly, spirit, boom. Oh, now there's 30 guys around him that have figured out his riddle and they're probably going to take his life. Quickly, go down, save them. Maybe we can use this as an opportunity to get this ball moving. Oh, now they've tied him up and they're going to get ready to kill him. Quickly, spirit of God, boom, go down there. Let him break free. Give him, give him the jawbone of a donkey and just start slaying everyone that's around him. The spirit of God is just trying to keep the brother alive in the hope that one day he'll be faithful enough that he can actually be used to carry forth his mission. Here's the thing, when you read the story of Samson, you see a man that very, in fact, not even very frequently, that sometimes was used by the Spirit of God, but he was never filled with the Spirit of God. And I wonder if we've settled for that same reality. I wonder if we're settling even now for the fact that sometimes God uses us, but has God filled us though? Yeah, the Spirit of God comes into your life and does something amazing. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Or does He have to keep leaving? He comes... And he goes. Uses you when you're desperate. But when there's no trials, when there's no real temptations, when the biggest obstacle before us are paper deadlines and tests, 
Are we really seeking to be filled with the Spirit of God? <coughs> Samson, I believe, has an identity crisis. His purpose was outlined before his existence. The reason for him to exist was to begin to deliver his people against the Philistines. Can you imagine? Can you imagine heaven listening in when Samson says that he wants to marry them? Like, dude, the reason why you're here is to tear them to shreds. And Samson's like, yeah, I know, but there's, there's one of them. She's so fine. <laughs> I mean, like, let's, I've got an idea, guys. Let's go down to Timnath. Let's get her and bring her up to us. No? Relationship evangelism. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Young people, don't act like you haven't tried this one. Right? I've seen one that pleaseth me well. Get her for me to wife. FYI, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Do you know how much harder it is to pull someone up to your level than for them to just pull you down to theirs? They've got gravity on their side. Doesn't matter how strong you are. To lift someone that's half your weight up is difficult enough. They just have to yank you down. And here's the thing. I've lived it. I've lived it from the other side. When my wife and I got together, when she was 13 and I was 15, she was in the church. I couldn't tell the difference between, between Jehovah and Buddha. But you best believe that I pulled her down. Best believe that I pulled her down way more times than she lifted me up. And yeah, God did a miracle. An absolute miracle. Never saw it coming. But here's the thing. Don't confuse God's will for His mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't confuse God's will for, your, for, for His mercy. Just because He's allowed it to happen in your life doesn't mean He's blessing it. Now he may, as he did with the, with, in the case of Samson and in the case of me, he may seek for an occasion to use it. He may think, okay, well, if this is the best that I'm being offered, I'll try and get in there. But trust us, from experience, there's better ways to do it. Wait a little while. See how interested he is in God when you say you're not interested in him. Are you with me? See how excited she is to show up on Sabbath mornings when you say you're not going out on Saturday night. Test the waters. Don't confuse his will for his mercy. Just because he hasn't squashed it doesn't mean that he wants to grow it. God had brought up Samson to defeat the enemy, not to unite with them. And you see, it doesn't stop here. I hope that alarm's not for me. I'm not even close to being done. It doesn't stop here. You see, after he decides that this is the woman for him, look at what it says in verse 10. Judges 14.10. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so the young men used to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. He had his wedding feast down in Timnath. And it wasn't the Hebrews that were invited, mind you. It was the Philistines. Samson has a Philistine wedding. And the only people there are Philistines. And you know what he decides it would be a good idea to do at this uniting ceremony? He's like, hey, yo, let's play a game. 
Like, brother, these are the people that your mentor literally been tearing heads off of. And he's like, hey, let's play a game. Can I tell you a riddle? I've got this really cool riddle, guys, that I'd love. What? Who's this guy? This is the deliverer? This is the one that's going to save God's people, and he's going to start off with a riddle. So here's the thing. The world, the Philistines, get their backs up because they can't guess the riddle. So, in the words of Samson, they plow with his hypha and they figure it out. They come to him. They tell him, yeah, we, we, we know. You killed the lion. Honey in the lion. We got it. We win. Samson literally goes nuts. Kills all of them. And then, look at verse, look at verse 1. And it came to pass, chapter 15, verse 1. It came to pass while, a while after in the time of the wheat harvest that Samson visited his wife with the child and said, I will go into my wife into the chamber. But her father's like, yo, yo, don't go in, don't go in. Please, Samson, don't go inside. And her father said, listen, I thought you hated her, so I gave her to your best man. That's what it says. And Samson says, now listen. Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, even though I do them a displeasure. Listen to the language that he's using. Like, brother, they just took your wife and gave her away for free. And he's like, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to have to do something that's really bad, guys. I'm afraid that what I'm going to do is going to be a displeasure to you. And instead of just going in there and tearing the whole place up, he gets 300 foxes. I mean, if ever there was more, if ever there was a time in his life where he needed less motivation to do God's will was now, and he sends foxes into the cornfield, and now look what he says in verse 7. Then Samson said unto them, Though you have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I'll stop. He has no intention of destroying these people. You know why? Because they're his friends. He's married into them. These are the people that filled his table at the wedding. And he's so accustomed, so accustomed to their ways, that even after they kill his wife and her father, just burn them alive, He's like, listen, I'm going to have to do something bad to you guys, but then I'm going to stop. I'll call it a cease. We'll call it quits. We're evens. Right? You kill my wife, I destroy your cornfield. Happy days. After this, we'll just, we'll just continue as though nothing happened. That's Samson. That's the deliverer. Samson has no intention of destroying them. You know why? Because he's one of them. And the world doesn't fight the world. You see, just like Samson, our, our purpose preceded our existence. The Scriptures told of a movement that would rise up in the last days and that their mission would be to take the message of God and to go and do damage, to bring an end to the entire world as we know it. And the thing is, sometimes the Spirit of God comes upon us, and sometimes like, yeah, you know what, this Sabbath, I'll do outreach. This Sabbath, I'll pay my tithe. This Sabbath, I might even go to church because it's a big special day, or I'll, I'll show up. Sometimes the Spirit of God comes upon us, but a sometimes relationship with God is not going to prepare us for an eternity with Him. And you're never really going to have the motivation that you need to take the gospel to the world if you're still in need of someone to take the gospel to you. Christ said we had to be amongst them. To reach the people where they are. Not to be them. 
Not to be the ones that consistently needed reaching. Not to be the ones that the only time the Spirit of God showed up in our life was when it was to save us from sudden death. I don't know about you, but I relate to this guy. I relate to his struggles. I relate to the fact that he can have 20 years of God in his life and then go down to the deepest, darkest hole man has ever seen. I relate to the fact that the Spirit of God can come upon him, can use him to do something amazing. And we can sing about it and dance about it and praise the fact that God, yes, truly was in our life. And then minutes later, lie on the floor, crying out, God, where are you? Why aren't you saving me? Samson fulfills the prophecy. He truly does begin to deliver God's people. He begins it. But he doesn't end it. Eventually, and this is how it always goes, eventually, when you've been using the Holy Spirit as some sort of backup generator, the time comes when there's no more power available. Samson loses God. It's up and down so often. He's got the Spirit and then he's lost. And then he's got the Spirit and then he's lost. And then he's got the Spirit and he's praising God. And for the first time in Judges 15, he even actually says a prayer. Hallelujah. A couple of verses later, he's in the house of a harlot. See, it would be great to be able to say, when I read the story of Daniel... I see myself. When I read the story of Joseph, yeah, I can see myself in Joseph. I don't see any of myself in Joseph. I don't see any of myself in Daniel. Well, I see me in Samson. I see me in Samson. He accomplishes God's will for his life, but it didn't go down the way it should have. It went down. <laughs> but not the way it should have. You see, before Samson finds his faith again, he's mocked. His eyes are plucked out. He can't see. He has no idea what's going on. The Spirit of God isn't with him the way that it used to be. And they mock him. He's a sport. He's a circus freak. He's a laughing stock. And then you find what's perhaps the most encouraging verse in the entire Bible. Judges chapter 16 and verse 22. How be it, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaven. Now you see, here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm not taking an mm for that one. No, 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 no. That's not an mm. That's not an mm. The hair, his hair, those, those great seven locks were a symbol of the fact that the Holy Spirit was going to use him when necessary. That he could call on God. That even though his life was an absolute mess, that the Holy Spirit was still saying, hey, listen, when you need it, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be your get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm going to use you at every given opportunity. And when his head was shaved, when he was bald, and when he, listen, he didn't even know. He didn't even know that the Holy Spirit wasn't with him anymore. He got up and just expected that God to be with him, but he wasn't. He had been cut off, literally. And then the hair begins to grow again. He said, then the hair begins to grow again. The grace of God. the grace of God that he would still use us even though we've turned our backs on him countless times. Even though, even though he's shown his face so clearly and we've literally turned the other way. The hair begins to grow again. I don't know how far you've gone and you have no idea how far I've gone. But I find encouragement in that. 
I find encouragement in the fact that a man who God raised up to do a mighty work and literally found the most unique way to do the complete opposite, united with the people that he was meant to be destroying. And God still showed mercy upon him. You know the story. He stands between the pillars. And then he cries out for vengeance. Man, it's not even like a righteous prayer in the end. He's not even like, God, I realize now I messed up. He's like, God, avenge me of those that took mine eyes. Let me kill them. And God answers the prayer. God answers the prayer, and the Philistines that were defeated in Samson's death were greater than those that he defeated in his life. Listen to me, please. The Spirit of God, I know, the Spirit of God wants to do something special with you. I'm not talking about restoration, or Chan Auditorium, or Loma Linda, I'm talking about you. The Spirit of God wants to do something through you. And chances are, He's going to get His way in the end. This is God we're talking about. He's going to use you. How much better to be used by the Spirit the way the Spirit intended? I'm tired. I've been a Christian for nearly nine years only. And I'm tired of the ups and the downs. I'm tired of these mountaintop experiences followed by visiting the harlot. I'm tired, guys. I'm tired by seeing the Spirit of God move mightily in my life and mightily in my family's life and then later on just forgetting anything happened. I don't know what you've seen, but I've seen the sea been parted. I've seen the manna come down from heaven every single day. I've seen water come from the stone. And I've never ever responded with more unfaithfulness. But still the hair grows. Still the grace of God is desperately reaching out to grab my sorry excuse for a life and do something with it. What about you? What about you? Will you let him in? Will you let him use you? Will you let him fill you? Or do you just want to be like everyone else? God doesn't need an army, you know. He just needs a few. A small number if they're filled with the Spirit of God, then He has enough to finish this work. I said it earlier in the week, how many more restorations? How many more GYCs? How many more of all of these great big revival events before we actually plead for the Spirit of God to do something with us? I don't know what that thing is. But it's something. Will you let him do something? There's a question mark at the end of that sentence. Will you let him do something? Will you let the Holy Spirit in? Will you pray today that you would be filled with the Spirit of God and not just be used? When the Spirit of God shows up in the Scripture, the results are incredible. He shows up after 12 crazy guys finish their latest prayer session and changes the lives of thousands of people. Imagine if all of us in here were filled with the Spirit of God. Not just used from time to time, but can you imagine if every one of us was filled with God's Spirit? Can you imagine the power? Can you imagine the results? Can you imagine the transformative experiences 
in your homes, in your communities, in your schools, and in your workplaces? Listen to what I'm saying. Don't settle for a mediocre spiritual life. Don't settle for a roller coaster relationship with God. And I'm not saying don't settle for trials. Settle for trials. Go through those trials. Just because the trials come your way doesn't mean that you're on the down. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that, that you're broken now. The fact that you're struggling shows that you're alive in the first place. The fact that you want more of the Spirit of God shows that there's at least some in there. I want to be filled. I want to be filled so much to the very brim with God's Spirit. That just as Peter did walking back, shadows are converting people. People are just being healed just because you are near them. To go to foreign nations and not have to spend six months learning the language, but to just show up. To witness as the world is turned upside down again. I don't want to settle for this topsy-turvy relationship with God. I want to be filled. I don't want Samson. I want Jesus. Father in heaven. Lord, it's tough. We're struggling. There's not a soul in this room that's not struggling. The only ones that aren't struggling are the dead. And Lord, there's still signs of life in this room. Father, I don't know what you want to do with us. I don't know how you want to use us. But I know that you want to fill us. I know that you want a people who will go forth for your praise for your name, for your honor, for your glory. I know, Father God, that it must be tough to watch the times when we turn our back on you, to the time when we seek to unite ourselves with the enemy, to join forces with the world instead of change it. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, forgive me for the times when I've used your spirit as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Forgive me, Lord, for the times when I've presumptuously just believed that I'd show up and you'd just be forced to doing something. Hover over us, Holy Spirit. Bathe our trembling heart and brow. Lord, fill us with your hallowed presence. Come, O oh, come, and fill us now. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.